Pastor Ben here, continuing our study through the book of Amos. Uh, today we'll be looking at chapters 4 through 6. Quite a bit of material here, um, but uh, what we'll see is uh, another statement from God of, hear this word, there are, there are things that are being done that are wrong. Uh, or there are things that maybe if they're doing it right, they're not doing it with the right heart. Uh, this empty religion that Israel's been practicing, uh, and this lack of connection that they have with God is described in great detail uh, as we look at these chapters. So, uh, as we open up in chapter 4, we hear, have this phrase, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Now, it's a pretty strong statement. Uh, I don't know that I would ever take the chance to call anyone a cow. Uh, and that is part of the indictment here. Uh, but it's also the idea that uh, the cows of Bashan, Bashan was a, agric a agricultural region that uh, had a lot of open pasture and good, healthy soil, good, healthy availability of food for their animals. And so the livestock there would have uh, been eaten uh, eating in plenty and would have been uh, a larger size, which, you know, the greater the size of the livestock, the more meat you can get out of it. And so um, it's this picture of uh, just having an abundance uh, and really an overabundance, right? So um, the, the, these people, these, he's calling out women in this case who are um, sitting high and, and heavy are oppressing the poor and crushing the needy. And even the way that they, they treat their husbands is not really appropriate. And so the, what God will do to them is in the next couple verses. He says, The Lord has sworn by his holiness that, Behold, the days are coming upon you, when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you should be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. So we're going from a place of great wealth to uh, a place that is not good for livestock, but also not good for the people. Basically, God is saying, everything you think you have, I can take it away. And all the things that you are relying on, all this, this good um, grains, good livestock, good land, money, all of these things, none of it will save you from uh, the power of the Lord. And so then we see a, a, a kind of sarcastic response uh, back to the nation at the whole. The northern nation of Israel, he says, come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. Again, he is calling out, if you remember back from chapter 1, from Zion, from Jerusalem, the true place of worship. And he's calling them uh, to, again, sarcastically, come, let's go to Bethel, let's go to Gilgal, these two places where idols are set up, uh, these, these places where the northern tribe had been worshiping, uh, and even those that may have thought, oh, well, I can worship God here. Uh, at this point, that's not what's happening. They might be doing some of the things that God told them to do, but they are not actually in their hearts worshiping God truly. And... Uh, some of them are just completely not worshiping God at all. And so we see uh, in these next six verses, there's a list of 
uh, different things that God has done up to this point in order that the people would return to him. And we'll see this, this tragic phrase at the end of each of these uh, that we see here at the end of verse 6. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Right? That phrase is just has a twinge of sadness in it. This idea of cleanness of teeth, our modern days, we go, oh, I would love to have clean teeth. What it means is their teeth are clean because they're not eating anything, right? The lack of bread. Then the next thing God did, I, verse 7, I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain to one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Again, God is in control of everything, including the winds and the rains. We know that in the New Testament, though they obey the voice of Jesus. But we see it here also in the Old Testament that God is in control of uh, whether or not the, the crops will be able to flourish. Verse 9, I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locust devoured, yet you did not return to me. Maybe a slight picture back to uh, the locust swarm that we read about in Joel. But again, definitely God is using these natural uh, things to send a message to his people. Please stop doing what you're doing. Consider your actions. Consider your relationship with me and turn back. But they're not hearing it. And so he continues, verse 10. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up in your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. So now he's hearkening back to uh, the time where the Israelites were oppressed in Egypt and saying, I had to bring you as low as when you were like that before I saved you, before I rescued you out of that land. Uh, I, I set you up in a situation that you'd go back into that in hopes that in experiencing that old sin and that old feeling, you would come back, and here they are, yet you did not return. And so he, he uh, sets up one more historical situation. I overthrew some of you, verse 11, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Again, the original hearers would know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, again, going even deeper back into uh, Israeli history and also into a place of uh, what Lot and his daughters thought probably was the destruction of the earth because of how bad the destruction that was happening, uh, which explains why they did what they did, if you read that account in Genesis. But again, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And instead of people seeing that they're at rock bottom and returning to God, they just allow that rock bottom to keep hitting further and further down. And so we see this final statement in the end of chapter 4, in verse 12. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And he describes himself. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind, and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the height of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. So again, being... being set up to prepare to meet their God. We'll see uh, in a few chapters the uh, idea of God being present in the midst of all of this. Uh, 
because of how far away the Israelites have gotten, the idea of meeting their God is, is not a happy thought, right? And God's reminding them of his power and just who he is, that he's not just some name or some tradition that was passed down, but that he is truly the creator of the universe. And so chapter five, as we get into it, uh, really splits up. Chapter five and chapter six work together. Um, the first half of chapter five is a, a lamentation. And uh, there's a form in here where we're going to see a lament, and then we'll see a list of uh, some kind of sin. And then uh, the uh, there's a, a call to repentance inside of here as well. And we'll see those layered in. Uh, throughout the first half of chapter 5. And so it says in verse 1, Hear this word, once again, harkening back to chapter 4 and even chapter 3, Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen, no more to rise, is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, The city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left the house of Israel. So this picture of the fallen virgin Israel, uh, a, a girl in her prime ready to start life and do all of the things and look forward to all of these things is fallen on her land with none to help her up. That's the word imagery here. And the idea that the, the destruction will be great. A thousand shall go down to a hundred. A hundred will go down to ten, right? There's just not going to be many people left. Uh, and we know that is eventually pointing to uh, the Assyrian invasion that's coming to the northern kingdom. And so then we see a call to repent. Chapter, uh, verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over into Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn down justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. We see two statements of pleading. Seek me and live. Seek me and live. Don't go to these places of false worship. Don't go uh, the way that you have been going, turning away from justice, casting down righteousness. Again, the oppression, the social oppression that we've seen pointed out in earlier chapters. And then we have this interesting picture here in the middle at verse 8. He who made the Pleiades in Orion, who turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. Again, God describing himself. And as he's talking about uh, these uh, constellations, uh, part of the implication here is the idea that um, the the worship of false gods, some of them had to do with uh, these different stars and these different signs. And we'll see it mentioned uh, in just a little bit later, uh, the idea of these star gods that the Israelites have turned to. Uh, God is setting up here, hey, I'm the one who created the stars. It's not the other way around. Stars didn't create gods and stars aren't gods. I, I am God. And then he describes them again in their, their sin. Verse 10, They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, 
You have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. So again, just the complete disregard for fellow man and for God being described here. Um, some of these things, again, set up earlier, uh, but this overtaxing, this this taking of things, the, the rich taking from the poor, the poor already don't have enough, that's why they're poor, but then to take even what little they have is just a, a disgusting way of treating their own people. And so we see another call, again, this kind of sandwich of this lament, seek good and not evil that you may live, so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be grace, gracious to the remnant of Joseph. But unfortunately, this lament ends with this statement, uh, knowing that God has called for his people to return and they continue not to return to him, knowing that he wants them to seek them so that they can truly live, but they are still seeking uh, all the, the empty clamors of the world. So verse 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas. They shall call to the farmers to mourning and to wailing, those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. So again, this is pointing to a future time of Israel where uh, the wailing will be true because they will have been uh, let into the consequences of their sin and received the judgment against their actions. And so the second half of chapter 5, and then the first half of chapter 6 lists two different sections of woes. Okay, Verse 18 starts our first woe that, again, will describe the emptiness of the religion of the people. So listen to the word of the Lord here. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? Again, the people thinking, oh, the day of the Lord is when he comes to return and restore. And that is one half of the coin, but the other half is the destruction and wrath. And they are not realizing they are not getting off scot-free just because they are Israel, they are God's people. So God tells them, why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into a house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Right, And what God's about to describe is the reason why it will be darkness for the people of Israel, given the way that they are currently acting. He says, I hate, verse 21, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But... Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. For me, as a musician, that hearing that last one, the idea that the music that they're offering in worship is just noise, the noise of your songs, right? The, the, the 
lack of meaning in the actions that they're taking. They don't have a connection with God. They are just doing things either out of rote practice or out of the hopes that God will potentially just look over what they're actually doing with their lives and only pay attention to sort of the punch card religious practices. And then verse 25, we get to this idea uh, set, set up back in verse 8. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikath your king and Kian your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So, again, the idea that this these false gods that they've been worshiping, now they're going to be sent into the land where those false gods, the, the land of Assyria, where these star gods are worshipped. You want to worship them? Great, you get to be with the people who uh, made those gods up. That's really what these two verses are, are saying. So then our second woe starts in the beginning of verse, or chapter 6, verse 1. And this woe is calling out um, the, the complacency and the uh, relying on self and riches to make things happen in the world. So it says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations, to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Calneth and see, and then from there go to Hamath the Great, and then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. So those three cities, Calneth, Hamath, and Gath, were three cities of great nations that by the time Amos is speaking, uh, those places have been conquered and are no longer great kingdoms. And so what he's saying is, if these things got conquered in the past and they were the greatest at their time, if you think that you're the greatest right now, what makes you think you can't also be destroyed? And then verse 3, putting far away the disaster, the idea that they're, they're not only uh, denying God and, and who he really is, but they're denying that, that, that God can really do anything to them. That that day of disaster isn't coming. The woe continues, verse 4. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the mist of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and, like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Right? They don't care that the nation has fallen apart. They're too busy lounging, eating the best food, having the best wine, having a great time, basically. But they're totally missing God in all of this. So verse 7 says, Therefore they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. All that good stuff is going away. And chapter 6 ends with a, a swearing of God by the destruction to come. This oath in, chapter, in verse 8. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house, and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, Is there still anyone with you? He shall say no, and he shall say silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. This is how bad things are going to be. 
it will be so bad that people will not want to mention God's name. Now, it could be out of fear that God will hear them and find them, and then the punishment that is due will be uh, brought onto them. Or it could be that they realize, oh, it's too late. I waited too long. I cannot call out to God. I can't lament. I can't ask him to help because I can see there is no help available. And what a terrible place to be uh, in either of those situations. Chapter 6 closes with this. For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in Lodebar, who say, Have we not by our own strength captured Karanaim for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall oppress you from Label Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. Things are not good for the Israelites. And we have to be careful as Christians that we don't sit back and think, well, if I do the wrong thing, then God is going to hate me and he's going to spite, smite me or, or do something bad to me. There are consequences for our sins, certainly. But if we have believed in Jesus, we know that that ultimate wrath has already been poured out on him. And passages like this help us to really consider the depth of what Jesus took on the cross and, and just how grateful that should make us and help us to want to pursue obedience, not because uh, we feel obligated to, but that obedience comes in the context of grace, that God was so gracious in sending Jesus that uh, we want to obey him. And we also know that God enables us to obey him through the work of his spirit. The people of Israel didn't have that opportunity, but God uses these bad circumstances to get their attention so that they would uh, repent and turn their hearts back to him. And so as we consider just the darkness of these chapters and, and the, the lamenting of God, of his people not following him, and, and the woes that happen to those who just don't follow God's commands, let us look into our own hearts and, and just consider just how great the freedom we have in Jesus is and to really, truly find uh, a thankful response in knowing that we don't have to face this kind of wrath.